Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast where we watch films that you probably should have seen by now. Uh, My name is Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. This week is a bit of a special episode because we're reviewing two films in the one episode. One of those films is only 13 minutes long, though, so that's why we figured we'd better do two on this one. Um, The first film that we're going to be reviewing is a whopping 115 years old. Yeah, it's been out for a little, a little while. It is, of course, Georges Méliès' La Voyage dans la Lune, or A Trip to the Moon, if you're not French. Joining me to review uh, La Voyage dans la Lune, uh, we have uh, two people who, who haven't actually seen the film. One of our people who hasn't seen the film is Mr. Luke Jago. Welcome back, Luke. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me back. No worries. And just a reminder for the folks at home, who are you and what do you do? I am Luke Jago, and I'm an actor and big movie buff. Big movie buff. Yeah. Excellent. And a uh, big fan of Robocop, as we all remember. Love Robocop. Excellent. I'm so yes. jealous you got to do the Robocop yeah. film. Well, there's there's two other, Ro- well, technically three other Robocop films, including the remake. Yeah, but you did the right one. <laughs> and up, uh, jo- joining us, uh, who is uh, in the jealous seat, uh, we, we have uh, Tegan Mulvaney. Welcome oh, back, Tegan. Let me Tegan. just switch over to the happy seat. Hi, mm. everyone. <sighs> How are you? Good. Um, yes, uh, it's me. Hi. I'm Tegan. I work for a children's cancer charity and I have never seen a trip to the moon. Mm. Well, it's okay. I mean, it was out a little bit before our time. A little bit, yeah. Mm. Um, But to celebrate uh, this film, which is turning 115 years old, uh, we thought we'd watch it in conjunction with a more recent film, which actually explores um, Georges Méliès and this particular film, uh, 2011's Hugo, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese and starring uh, quite a lot of great actors. Um, So the way we're going to break it up is we will discuss uh, Le Voyage Dance the Loon first, uh, then we'll go watch it, we'll come back, we'll review it, and then we'll jump into Hugo. So, uh, A Trip to the Moon. Uh, The plot is a group of men travel to the moon by being shot in a capsule from a giant cannon. They are captured by moon men, escape, and return to Earth. Now, I'm imagining there's not much more to it because it's a (laughs) 13-minute film. Yeah. but uh, I'm presuming both of you are aware of A Trip to the Moon. It is one of those iconic early cinema mm. films, arguably the iconic uh, first cinematic film, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they show it to you when you study film and that sort of thing at university. And uh, yeah, and I remember seeing it then too. Mm. And I was quite amazed because, mm. you know, for as old as it is, it it's just so imaginative and visually beautiful. And yeah, I think... The movie Hugo really illustrates it very well and kind of brought it back to my attention. So, yeah. Lovely. Really cool. And uh, Tegan, uh, we were talking just before we turned the microphones on about uh, the very specific uh, 
most famous shot from this film, yeah. the, uh, the the man in the moon. Uh, is, with the capsule in his eye. Yes. But I, I find it very hard to actually picture that. I know that image quite well, um, but it's always Noel Fielding playing the moon in Mighty mm. Boosh to me. I always yeah. expect him to uh, lick the back of the sun or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or just look at the camera and say, I'm the moon. It's, it's like cause it's almost that would it's almost like that would have to be kind of a reference. Oh, I, that was surely inspired mm. by it's a so trip to the moon, the bush. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> grab your rockets and telescopes uh, and prepare to join us as we watch a trip to the moon. <laughs> it's a silent <laughs> film. Just just so you guys know. No, be, it's going to be Jago and I yeah, making we'll sound, sound effects. effects oh, the whole beautiful! Time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm a moon man. <laughs> okay, everybody, welcome back. We've just finished watching La Voyage Dance La Lune. Boy, that was a that was a long film. I'm joined again by Luke Jagger. Hello. And Tegan Mulvaney. And uh, what did we think? What did we think of a trip to the moon? Just um the simple techniques that you can tell exactly kind of how they did it now, but I mean, we're just saying for the time, I mean, the people, they would have been blown away. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was like, it was so easy to be transported back to being an audience member Mm. back in 1902, watching it. Like I know that we all at one point when the first moon man exploded, we all had an actual reaction of, Mm. Oh, how how amazing was that? Like you, you, I don't think any of us were were faking that. It was actually really beautifully done. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was, do you know what? I think a lot of film directors should just watch it again. Instead Mm. of giving me a three hour cut of a film, I reckon they should uh, watch that because they decided to go to the moon. They went to the moon then they came home, and it took 14 minutes. Yeah, we're talking to you, Michael Bay. I was going to say, do we have any Michael directors Bay. in mind? Peter Jackson, mm. one of the worst experiences of my life was watching King Kong in the cinema because mm-hmm. we were two and a half hours in, and I... And they were still on the island. They were still on the island. No, they, they were still on the island, and I was like, they have to get back to New York. They have to do the whole All New York thing. Stuff. I, w- I had a, almost a panic attack mm. because it was upsetting me so much. Mm. Um, and um, you're going to hate me, but um, Hateful Eight was another one that I did wow. that in as well. I don't hate anybody. And The Revenant. Except, except me now. <laughs> <laughs> and, the and The Revenant as well. Well, you know, to each their own. I mean, yes, I admit they are long films and I yeah. don't watch them as much as my favourite shorter films. That's true. But, you know. What do we think? Um of the when they got to the moon, the first thing they did was have a nap. <laughs> have a nap. Yeah. It was a long ride. It took fourteen seconds yeah. or something to yeah. get there. So Yeah. Just... And then they had the the dream or just the, the watchful moon spirits yeah. snowed flowing above them. And then they stamped out the snow like it was fire. Out. Yeah. Well we mm. thought it could have been cheese. Because the oh, moon's yeah. made of cheese. Yeah. Obviously. So just like grated cheese. cheese. Yeah. Cheese yeah. is a kind of, of meat. meat. And there's <laughs> another monkey <mushroom laughs> <we can't laughs> <have friends. laughs> 
Yeah. yeah, it just seemed like an odd thing to do. You know, when Neil Armstrong, he didn't go, it's one small step for man and one giant nap turn for this bad boy. Also because they didn't take anything else but blankets. Yeah. So they didn't take food. They didn't take supplies. They didn't take a change of clothes. They didn't take oxygen. Uh, yeah. They just, just umbrellas. Yeah, they took umbrellas. Mm. And blankets. Yeah. And interestingly, they didn't use the umbrellas when it rained cheese. <laughs> no, no, they stamped it out because <laughs> it was fire cheese. They used oh. it to explode people. Yeah, 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 that's right. So the the film starts in what appears to be unseen university. Um, just <laughs> just a lot of uh, old wizard looking guys. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. of them uh, pointing upwards and then drawing on a little blackboard going... We fire a big old gun and go to the moon. Big old moon. And it does seem there's a little bit of consternation uh, before they eventually agree to settle down and then get changed in front of the camera. Yeah, lots of arm flailing. Yeah, and there was a lot of people looking directly at the camera, <laughs> which yeah. was quite fun <laughs> as well. Smiling, like, yeah. expect them to wave. Rolling. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, doesn't matter. It was lovely. It was. Yeah. It was really nice. It. It seemed like good fun. And then of course we go to seeing them. Oh, we see the magic stools as well. We establish these yeah. ca- these characters have some power of some sort because they hold up what appears to be a telescope and then it turns into a stool we we have uh fade cuts which um look really great i i was just i was because they physically would have had to chemically do that Mm. you know and that that would have been pretty hard instead of just putting the old fade button on the final cut i don't think they had final cut then you're right yeah final cut i think only goes back to the 90s yeah yeah oh they might have had iMovie That's a pretty old program. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I throw a chemical on it. Yeah, and it, it looked great, and we saw them building the rocket, and I really love the use of the flat, uh, the flat uh, painted sets, the background, yeah. which had, it a, had a forced perspective yeah. kind of art to it, which was looked so cool. Yeah, and they had, yeah. They had a really nice uh, depth to them, and we saw a couple of techniques, like when they're looking out over the city and you've got smoke coming out of the smokestacks uh, to, to make it look like, no, look, see, that's really far away. Um, yeah. And even though it had this, this painted... Uh, quality to the whole thing um, it looked hyper real almost yeah. and I suppose you can see why it, why, why it stands out I guess as being like uh, th- that first film that first I mean it's not a feature film but kind of like when you think back to like history of cinema uh, people generally I think the very first film was the um, the people leaving the factory and that's just a minute of from the Lumiere brothers of watching yeah. people leave the factory but th- I think this is the first narrative-based film that really has uh, been captured in people's uh, consciences. Um, There is some stuff in the IMDb trivia uh, section, which I managed to find with a little troll. Um, In 2002, a print of the film was discovered in a barn in France. It was amazing not only that um, this was the most complete cut of the film, but it was a version that had been entirely hand-coloured. Um, the version we watched uh, for those at home was one that was in black and white, but there were versions which were hand-painted. Uh, it was restored and premiered um, at the Silent Film Festival the following year. Uh, yeah, Georges Méliès, uh, when speaking about the film, said, The greatest difficulty in realising my own ideas forced me to sometimes playing the leading role in the film, uh, because he's one of those wizards. Um, I was the star without knowing uh, I was one, because the term didn't exist yet. Uh, Mel- uh, Georges Méliès appeared in over... 300 of his 500 mm. films in yeah. the end and that was just because in that time you're right it was very everyone working together and you know all the people that were making the sets were also acting in the film and that's because it, it was all about it was all about the spectacle of the image as opposed to uh, the performance of per- like individuals. individuals yeah yeah um it's the and way it's, it should be yeah it should yeah. be like that yeah, yeah. and yeah. it was Absolutely. really really lovely yeah. um 
What score would you give La Voyage Dans La Lune? One. One. <laughs> no, no, I liked, I'm joking. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a good eight out of ten just based on the pure imagination going into it. Mm. And, um, and it just looked beautiful and, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think eight out of ten too. Um, can I... Because I, I just want to... It just reminded me of something. So um, when I was a kid and then a teenager, I rediscovered it. There's a documentary that Rowan Atkinson made about the history of comedy mm. and how comedy um, in... Um, and kind of explaining what, how to make different kinds of comedy. Yeah. And um, the coolest part of it is he talked about comedy in film mm. and he talked about Georges Méliès and about um, the construction of jokes by using editing and by using uh, design and image and that sort of stuff. And it was really cool to, having seen this documentary, seeing these little bits and pieces with... George Melia, they're all about like cutting people in half and then they yeah. glue their legs back on or mm. they're in a box over here and then they appear over there. It's like using the magic of the, of cinema to... For to a really, punchline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, that was so... All of that was prevalent in that film, even the exploding moon men or the when they um, they fall into the ocean and you can see them being dragged off mm. or this, or when they're in the bottom of the ocean and they've... They put it behind uh, an aquarium with mm. axolotls swimming in it. Of all animals to choose, you've chosen axolotls. For that. It's so cool. Like, yeah. there's he he really was so clever in creating creating what he could create for that time, mm. but not just from a filmic level, from like the nuances of comedy and design and oh, so cool. The dream maker. Yeah. Um, dream factory. Dream Indeed. boat. Very much he so. Was, Maybe. He was a dream boy. Was he? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think I'll agree in terms of um, scoring it as well. I'm going to give it eight um, rockets in the eye out of ten. Out. <laughs> so following on from uh, Le Voyage Dans the Lune, we are going to be talking Hugo, uh, 2011's Hugo, released by uh, Mr. Martin Scorsese. Uh, Tegan, you haven't seen Hugo. No, I haven't. Uh, what do you know about this film? Um, I know... That Martin Scorsese directed it. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was a clock on the cover. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Cool. So coming in uh, completely fresh-faced to yeah. this one. Yeah. You know when you have those films in your life that you... When it's like released at the cinema, you're like, yeah, that looks pretty, looks pretty great. Like, mm. that looks gorgeous. And I, and I like Martin Scorsese. I love his films. I'll go see that. And then you just don't. And mm. then... You're like, I'll watch it on video. I'll watch it on DVD. And then you, you don't. You just don't. And, then, yeah. and then it's six years later and you haven't watched it at all. And mm. you go, oh. Thank God for you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, Jago, you have seen Hugo. Yeah, I you, saw you it when it came You didn't fall into the, uh, the not seeing it trap. No, I, I, went, I fell into the seeing it trap. Okay. Um, in, in the best possible way. No, okay. I saw it when it came out in the cinema and I saw it in 3D. And it was a visual treat and a beautiful film. All right. Uh, shall we uh, give Hugo a watch then? Let's do yes, it. Yes, we. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, she's getting in the spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, grab your... Ooh, what's a good one for Hugo? Grab your... Um, your spanners. Le pen. Grab your, yeah, grab your le pens, your le spanners. <laughs> and le your, uh Le timetable du translation. <laughs> and uh, prepare to join us as we watch Hugo. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. 
we're back. We've just finished watching Hugo, and uh, by we, I of course mean Mr. Luke Jago. And Tegan Mulvaney. Bonjour. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Uh, comment ça va? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oui. I almost said si. <laughs> uh, so guys, what did we think of Hugo? Ah, it was really long. It's, it is a long movie. It's... It is long, and it has. We can all agree. Definitely has pacing issues. I think. Oh we were, yeah. We could yeah. feel it as we were watching it. Yeah, well, beautiful I mean, to look at. It is, but but yeah. long. I do wish I'd seen it in three D. I think I it, would have appreciated it yeah. much more. It is a film, a visual appreciation film. Mm. Not, in my, in my opinion, a sit and watch at home on a. Wednesday evening yeah. film. Yeah, it, it, that was the thing watching it. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the cinema, and I can't remember if I saw it in 3D or not, but I remember it being visually very impressive mm. and being quite enamoured with the film, I suppose. Yeah. But th- you're right, this rewatching in a, in a nice home environment, um, not on a uh, gigantic cinema screen, it, it loses something. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, because it's, it's kind of... It's kind of a boring film. It's really be, boring. Like, yeah. it's got really great moments. Um, and the subject matter is is one that I actually quite enjoy, you know, the, the early days of cinema. Um, mm. But it, it is kind of boring, I guess. It, 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 I mean, there's, there's lots of great actors in it. There's a really great director. Uh, costumes are beautiful. Mm. Set piece is beautiful. The hair's great. But it's a bit yeah. long. Yeah, you're right. It's maybe 40 minutes too long that's the thing it's you know we were, we were kind of joking about it before when we were talking about a trip to the moon about directors taking some advice from it and mm. getting to the point this film ironically is a classic yeah. example i think of just get to the point it could have been a wonderful fun filled mm. hour and a half film yeah um with still with spectacles still with because it's so it is really beautiful mm. Um, and that opening sequence where we, we see the train station, you know, yeah, with the big panning shot that goes from like modern day Paris to, to yeah. 1931, and we see the, the cameras sweep through and all the people going about their business and the people setting up the shops, and eventually we get to Hugo hiding it's behind gorgeous. the clock face. Yeah. And it's beautiful yeah, it's and brilliant. exciting. Yeah. Like, that's actually a really exciting yeah, It's such a dynamic shot. It apparently mm. took a year to complete that. Wow. Shot. Yeah. Reading about it. It yeah, really from the doesn't surprise me. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we should we should probably talk about Hugo himself. Um, Hugo is played by um, Asa Butterfield. Well, what did you think of, of his acting, uh, Luke? Like, was he a? He's fine. Yeah, he was fine. It was, yeah. But was he compelling to follow? I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. with with young performers, sometimes it's it's they hard be, to get that balance. Yeah, young performer. It's hard to find a good young performance. Mm. I, I find, like, yeah. without them being incredibly annoying mm. to look at, um, <laughs> and just their acting is like. Oh, Shut up, kid. Mm. Move on. But I think Acer Butterfield uh, did did a pretty fine job. Yeah. He did exactly what he had to do, and there was no no false notes in his yeah. performance. But was it you know something you'd remember, like mm. a memorable performance from a kid? Like say I don't know, The Sixth Sense. If you're gonna think of memorable performances that really yeah yeah stuck in your head, yeah. I mean, but it, it didn't need to be. I don't think. Mm. But yeah, he was he was perfectly adequate. Okay, no, that's he fair. Was, I, he had a, it's a really tough ask of a kid, I think, a role like that, where you're asking to for a kid to kind of portray a lot of adult emotions mm, yeah. and a lot of adult uh, uh, kind of context with what he's going through with loss and with 
all the stuff with his dad and things like that. Like I, I think he was acting really, he was trying really, really hard. And, you, and, I, and it was kind of... Squirt them tears out. Mm. Using yeah. the menthol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, yeah, but, I, but and you know, I, I don't mean to say that to pass judgment on him because he's a kid and, mm. that, and at the time and that was the role he was playing. But it was a big ask for a young, scared, you know, probably really nervous kid mm. um, in that role. So yeah. it I, was... But I, when you talk about if he was endearing on... Yeah, I question whether he... He didn't really hold the film yeah. as a lead. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought in a way it was maybe not written in, in a sense where Hugo himself particularly had much of a character. Um, it, it was very much more Hugo was essentially just a, a vessel for us to experience this this yeah. lovely vignette through. And, and this film really is a series of vignettes, yeah. particularly when you've got all these great character actors like uh, Richard Griffiths, uh, Christopher Lee, Francis Delator, all playing these like little parts in, um, in, in this world around the train station. Um, but yeah, I I sort of feel as though Hugo was sort of missing something like, yeah, we, you know, we, we find out that pretty early on that his dad died in a mysterious stair climbing museum fire. fire. Yeah. 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 It would, and it looked really, really weird. Yeah, yeah. and it, it just seemed like, it just seemed like an odd choice. And maybe that's again one of those three D elements that they were looking at. Yeah. Maybe with three D glasses on that fire coming up the stairs yeah. looked impressive. It's it was the right. same with the steam with the coming out of the train. You could tell the steam yeah. effect was specifically for three D and mm. probably would have looked great. And it just looked odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, watching it there. Yeah, but it's interesting. You talk about like vignettes like that. I actually. That would be really exciting to just have it from this little orphan boy's point of view who's the kid that changes the clocks and mm. is just watching the lives of everyone at the train station. Mm. Almost in a kind of Amelie kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or a Love Actually sort of sense, you know, yeah. where they, you know, with Love Actually is based on people meeting each other at the airport, Richard mm. Curtis saying that. Like how beautiful would that kind of... And because and then you because you've got this kind of really fairy tale idea of 30 you know pre-war pre-second world war mm. france and and paris and the romance and the fun and the excitement of that sort of nostalgic world how cool would that be to have it and then you mm. could just have less of hugo and more of the vignettes and more of georges melier's story and mm. if they wanted to if because that towards the end it just lost track because it just seemed like that's what Scorsese more so wanted to focus on. He was trying to find a way to make George Melier's story kind of mm. come alive. Yeah. It was clear that that was the reason why he made this film. Yeah. I mean, he got this book, which is written by Andrew Selznick or some, someone Selznick, this mm. kid's book, this graphic picture book that his daughter gave to him and um, was like, you should read this book, Daddy, and you should make a movie of it. And he read it and he mm. was like... I love this book. I yeah. love this subject uh, matter. Brian Selznick. Brian Selznick. Guy, yes. Well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it was a way he was making it. And you, you, you could tell this movie is perfect for Scorsese to make. I mean, yeah. it is, it's about film. It's a film about filmmaking. Uh, it's about the artifice of film. And he's doing it in a way which is kind of innovative as well with the 3D mm. and all that. So if you see it like that and, um, yeah, so that's kind of all that he was really concerned with and showing the, you know, the George Melier's actual 
filmmaking scenes, mm. yeah. would, I think he would have had the most fun with. But I don't think that means that you get away with making a boring oh, film. Oh, definitely I not. don't. And I think no, that what? that's what I kind of mean when I talk about the traps of The Revenant and Hateful Eight. And yeah. Because I don't dispute, dispute that they are beautiful films to watch and interesting films to watch, but you lose story, character... They're yeah. driven by the filmmaking instead of by, you know, surely half of filmmaking is making a wonderful story come to life. Yeah. And no, to, to put to see, it was so cool to see this next to a trip to the moon, which told mm. a story in 13 minutes mm. and did it pretty effectively. Yeah. Like you could follow it along yeah. quite easily. Mm. Um, and yeah, and to see them stray off track and not really... It is a real shame because, yeah, this movie, like you were saying before, this movie, Hugo, it could have been like a really rollicking yeah, ride, you know, if it was great. like 80 minutes long yeah. and just a little bit of history and them showing how they made the movie. And, yeah. And oh, it, it could have been really good, but yeah, I think Scorsese just was up his own ass for a, I think a so. lot of it. Like imagine even if you had Hugo as a character that didn't even speak, like mm. if he was, you know, if you paid homage to silent film through this one character and just had him living through the world of the speaking. I already love that movie. Y- do you know it. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and so when he discovers silent films, I'm re- <laughs> sorry, Scorsese, I'm rewriting your film. <laughs> sorry, but do you buddy. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then, you know, so maybe that's what it is. There's nothing subtle about this film. This film is not subtle. No, he takes his time. He's yeah. very, he loves his shots and as beautiful as they are, you know, yeah. The, the editing is just, it's its weird for a, to watch a Scorsese movie like this with editing so, paced so slowly yeah. because he's usually just on top, story, 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 story. Absolutely. Like the it's just like bang, one thing to the other, you know, bang, bang, bang. You even, know, but even his, casino, you know. But even films like Taxi Driver, which are slower paced, everything has a purpose in there. Yeah. Everything is it's to help compelling. with the build up. Yeah. Or yeah. King of Comedy as well. Like yeah. all of those, there's purpose to it. Exactly. Mm. But, you know, really he was making a family film, you know, maybe he just felt he was just going to rein it in a bit and put the kids to sleep. Put the kids to sleep yeah. for the parents, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on, uh, because because obviously the film was quite long. Um, <laughs> and it's only it, two hours, but it felt longer. It felt longer than that. It felt that. longer, yeah. But it did feel like we we experienced the first 30 years of cinema's history. Um <laughs> But maybe not necessarily in a good way. But I'm I'm just looking at different aspects of this film and seeing what did work. Like because a bit a lot like the automaton, there were bits of this film that clicked and worked together very nicely. Yeah. Um, is Sasha Baron Cohen as the station master one of those bits or not? Because um, he there isn't really a villain in this film. Like like he is a he is a baddie in that sense. In the same way that Ben Kingsley um, as Georges Méliès is a kind of baddie in the mm. beginning. Um, but looking at the station master, you know, it's very pantomimic and it's very much like, you know, like very much like a child's yeah. enemy, you know, all he's doing is... I he's... quite like it. I yeah. quite liked his character. Like, I remember really liking it when I first saw it because it's not, it's such a Baron Cohen. I mean, hmm. he's used to dirty jokes and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And for him to really embellish in a, like a childish villain slapsticking, you know, in his... And his voice work and just the the PC nature of the humour, mm. I think he'd actually pull it off quite well. But was he necessary to the film? I don't think so. Well, I mean, having that sort of power, I thought at the beginning he was it was quite 
useful in that you know you're establishing this is Hugo's world and you can't just have a kid running around a uh, uh, train station yeah, with no with no threat because yeah. then it just becomes Tom Hanks in the terminal. You know, it's like <laughs> you you have to stay here. <laughs> it's like... That is a long movie. <laughs> So, you know, I, I do feel the terminal may have been improved as Sasha Baron Cohen was running, running around, around trying to catch oh Tom Hanks. Uh, so Where are you from? It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, straight to the orphanage with you, Tom Hanks. I wished it was darker way, with that character. I mm. wanted them to push it. It was odd, this hatred he had for orphans and the and then the explanation of him being an orphan he was, yeah. and realising he didn't have a family. family. He wasn't dark. It wasn't brutal enough to, mm. you know, like I wanted him to be a trunchbull-esque, you know, like, you know, he sticks him in a mm. cage, I'm sure poke him with he, sticks. He could have gone there he too. Could have, but he could have, but he didn't. He want, probably wanted to, but no, he held it all back for his mm. first foray into and, and, family you fun. know we, we get the the sort of uh the romance with um emily mortimer's character uh Lissette, who sold the flowers mm. yeah. but even that felt kind of undercooked and developed yeah. um yeah it was nice it was nice it was nice yeah. they, they their conversation um when she gives them the flower and they talk about how he hurt his leg in that the was wall. lovely actually. that was lovely that and was, I, yeah I, I would actually have liked to have seen more of that yeah to be honest um, but yeah, I, I think if if he'd been more of a, a Roald Dahlian type yeah. villain, um, yeah, yeah, kind of not being both, I guess he was yeah. kind of trapped between two different ways to go. And I, I yeah, it was, it didn't quite work for me. I mm. think I, I like Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he does. I just, yeah, I really agree. great stuff. Yeah. But but for me, I, I kind of feel this. I think it would would work better were I Hugo's age watching this film. Like I think, as a younger person, watching, going, oh, it's the big tall man with a with a scary dog, you know, mm. that kind of thing. It's 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 a very it's a very good use of dog kind wasn't of wasn't very scary. <laughs> no, but as a child, <laughs> the happiest face. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a Doberman. Yeah, but it's the, the happiest Doberman. Face. <gasps> I found a child. He kept doing this close up, and he was like, "Hello, <laughs> I love being here. Brains are awesome." <laughs> But oh yeah. my god, it's L.E.G. I'm in a film with L.E.G. Boyakasha. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking about the other potential villain in this film, uh, although not really a villain, more just a misunderstood old man, uh, Ben Kingsley is Georges Méliès. Um, what do we think of him in this one? I think he's great. Yeah. Perfectly It's cast. a wonderful... Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's a really nice performance i mean more than nice um it was it was excellent yeah and it's pretty much what you get from ben kingsley he doesn't tend to do bad performances no. um and yeah i mean it was it was very i i, I still feel he was maybe a bit harsh oh at the yeah beginning. yeah the but beginning. but I, I also feel that was probably important for getting across trying to get some sympathy as an audience member with hugo yeah um <laughs> But it was it was an interesting performance. But I I, I do feel that you're right. The the story with uh, Georges Méliès did lose a little bit of direction. The further we went on, um, just needed someone a big cull of the script. Like he could have just cut Chloe Moretz. Yeah. <laughs> the whole. Yeah. I mean, she she was quite good. She though. was nice. great. Yeah. Not not yeah. for her acting. Just the character mm. is not necessary. There was enough rapport. It mm. just muddied the relationship between. Hugo and George Melier. Yeah. Like I think that, yeah, there could have been 
a real a much stronger connection between those two yeah, if there was no like the other building up a genuine mutual respect for yeah. one another that sort of thing but she's just wedging in there and kind of being this other what semi love interest type yeah thing. and a really odd idea for a character of a bookwormish girl like just to, yeah for what I'd, I'd maybe I missed it because I was making jokes through the film a <laughs> yeah, little bit you should, you should really record the actual watching of the movie sometimes cause well we, we made so many references to Ben Kingsley's baguette that um, I, I kind of feel like to, to try and keep the uh, relative PG <laughs> yeah. nature of this. It is this, a PG film. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I kind of feel maybe we, we shouldn't record during the... Yeah, uh, fair enough. Thing. All you need to know, audiences, is that when we were watching this film, Ben Kingsley's character had a baguette sticking out of his bag and Tegan thought it was something <laughs> other than a baguette. It just... Because it just shot in and out of frame yeah. and it's... Mm-hmm. You know, cream coloured, and it. And we just <laughs> refer not all to cream it for the rest of the edge. Baguettes aren't all cream coloured. No, <laughs> they come in lots of different varieties. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. Okay, so we but, had we had a lot of celebrity cameos in this film. Yeah. In terms of uh, well-known actors in very small roles, Ray Winston, Jude Law. Um, did we have a particular favourite though? I kind of like had what. Jude Law did in this. He film. was, yeah, I he thought was he was really beautiful. good for such yeah. a small, I think, three minutes of screen time. Yeah. Um, he was great because mm. it, then it just shows. I guess it sets up just how hard it is for Hugo without this beautiful yeah. man in his life. And um, yeah, so I thought Jude Law was actually really good mm. at the start. I, I think, yeah, I agree. Mm. I mean, I always enjoy Ray Winston just getting to act what I suspect Ray Winston is like is. in real life. Yeah. Come here, you get out of here. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but I really like Christopher Lee. Yeah. I've just yes. got to throw it out there. As, as the only, I think he's the only person involved with the film who was actually alive when the film was set. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow, that's true. yeah. He would have been about Hugo's age, actually, because he was born 1922. Wow. So, yeah, he'd have been nine years old when the film was set. So, yeah, he would have been but Lawful Boy running around the train station. Yeah. Wow. Which I heard he did. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. As part of his long and storied life. I think that was based on his fixing, story. Yeah, yeah, fixing the clocks and yeah. shouting down, you're going to be late for your train. <laughs> <laughs> He's the voice on the Sour, It's Sauron's eye. Yeah. <laughs> watching everyone. Yes. Oh, jeez. The 2.15 to Bordeaux has been <laughs> delayed. But it was it was a really nice, um, really nice um, to see to see him performing in this film, and you know, give him the little like slightly unsure stare to <laughs> yeah. to um, Hugo. That was the, that was the moment I truly sympathised with Hugo as being yeah. like, "Huh, Christopher Lee staring you down?" <laughs> no. And I, I read that he's really good friends with um, Martin Scorsese as well, and this is the first film he's been in. And when Martin wow. Scorsese's asked him, would you like to do it? He's like, it's about time. Mm. And yeah. that's how that story went. That is indeed. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, um, so, you know, the film progresses. We have all the stuff with the automaton, which looked pretty cool. Mm. And I, I quite like that being brought in as an aspect, particularly considering yeah. Hugo is a tinkerer, Georges Melier is a tinkerer. You know, there's a lot of people tinkering about with stuff. And the, and the nature of having a boy that, works in a world of clocks it makes sense i guess for him to have the automaton yeah, yeah. it was just the, the the way they used it was more of a connecting the dots kind of solve you know clues to a mystery mm. yeah and, and it was all about fixing it and finding the, yeah. the, the heart shape thing it was it was sort of a very labored metaphor yeah with, it know. could have been something like you were saying with 
you know, just another instance of him and connecting with George. It just Millier. needed simp- yeah. simplifying. That's all it yeah. did. The doll itself, or the automaton itself, mm. I listened to another podcast the other day. <gasps> sorry, sorry. How dare you? I can't remember which one, but they talked about the Uncanny Valley. Mm. You, you, yeah, you, yeah. I, it's the first time I'd ever heard about it, but it was really cool. Yeah, yeah well, could you uh, yeah. give a very brief explanation? Well, I, let's see. I'll probably give a poor explanation, but it's about when um, some Express. a guy, a Japanese guy, no one really knew about it, but this Japanese guy wrote a thesis in the 70s. He was a roboticist, and he wrote about when you're making a robot, how you shouldn't make it look too human because humans have this thing that the he called it something else but through translations we've and we've it's been agreed upon that it's called the uncanny valley and that's where um when things start to look too human like there's a crossover between things looking human and things looking robotic Mm. and when it gets too much into the human side we find it scary and Mm. freaky and creepy is the word that they use for it now like um like inanimate objects, when they're animated, they become creepy. Like a doll yes. turning its head yeah. without anyone knowing why is creepy. Yeah. And that I, I got serious uncanny valley from <laughs> the, automaton. Um, the automaton. It was the black wow. eyes. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, yeah, I think the fact that the, the final shot of this film is a lingering shot on yeah. the automaton was, was a little unsettling. Because I, I work with puppets. Mm. Um, it, it, it's my, my job is working with puppets. And we have that our old, old puppets 10 mm. years ago were very human-like but with black glass eyes and they had feet and hands and they Mm. moved uh, quite almost robotically because Mm. we were controlling them. Um, And we, because of Uncanny Valley, we had to change to these more like bug-eyed Muppet-style puppets because Mm. it was terrifying children. terrify the kids, yeah. Like every time that puppet (laughs) came up, I couldn't help but go... <laughs> it's just gonna go mental and kill everyone in the yeah, room. Yeah, because it's what yeah. it felt like. It felt like it was gonna open its mouth and just scream. Mm. It yeah. was horrible. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things I really enjoyed about this film to to focus on the positives because I think there are more positives than negatives. Definitely. Um, I really enjoyed the use of like very early cinema footage. I, I felt they actually mm. used it quite well, even though at times on this rewatch it did feel a bit like Martin Scorsese's The History of Film yeah. uh, documentary um, particularly when the character of René Tabard was uh, oh yeah yeah and he's just there going ah yes he made over 500 films and he may as well have called that, called that character Martin uh, Scorsese, Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> he should have just played the role I played the role yeah, so yeah. what we have here is films 500 films they used that's in, a great impression they used in that footage of so I watched a documentary on um, adult films a, a little while ago and about mm. um, sex in film. Mm. Um, it's called Sex at 24 Frames Per Second and it's about... Mm. And they used one of the videos in that that's known as the first pornographic film oh. and it's the husband and wife kissing, kissing. one another. Mm. Yeah. Um, which was... A f- Shame. That, but that was. That, yeah. was. that was so illicit back then. Mm. Um, and it fascinated me that I watched it in this porn documentary yeah. <laughs> and it showed up in, mm. in, in this film as yeah. well, in this family film. 
Yeah. But I, yeah, it was it was really lovely, and particularly the sequence at the end where they're showing all the different Melier films, and it really got across what an important influence he had, not only as one of the first well-recognized filmmakers, but like we were looking at it and going, a lot of the imagery was quite Monty Python-esque, the way uh, Terry Gilliam uh, yeah, would animate things, animate it, yeah. and then indeed develop that yeah. for his own filmmaking techniques later in life as well. Um, it was so imaginative. Mm. Like, and you, to see someone have that much imagination mm. 115 years ago yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I almost watch this and kind of wish we were watching a George Melier biopic as opposed to the Hugo story. It, oh, it feels yeah. almost as though, I, I know obviously it all comes from this this source text and I'm sure the original book is, is very good. That's probably why they chose to adapt it. But at the same time, it, it sort of felt like they were trying to make two films at once. I agree. And yeah. they skimped out on too much of both. And what we've yeah. ended up with is a perfectly okay film. Yeah. And I feel like it could have been a lot better. Um, the the original uh, budget for this film was about one hundred and fifty million dollars, yeah. and it only made back seventy three million. So it ma- it made back half, um, yeah. which surprised me because I don't remember it being at the time at least. I don't remember hearing it as as a flop. I remember going along and seeing it, and that was really enjoyable. And people who I was friends with at the time went and saw it and enjoyed it as well. I think the critics really liked it mm. at the at mm. the time too. I think it. But I think on like you're saying on big screen. I think it will. It would win you over because we do get sucked into pretty visuals. Yeah, mm. but that's then what it was like. if but it has no substance behind it. It did also win five Academy Awards as well. Mm. Um, like technical. Yeah, it won yeah. cinematography, visual effects, production design, sound editing, and sound mixing. Well, that's all deserved. That's, that's, that's yeah, definitely yeah. deserved. Yeah, and it was also interesting because this came out. This it was in the same. Um, Oscars ceremony uh, time period as The Artist, which is another film mm. which is looking at France and the, the history of, of film as well. It seemed like there was, some, there was something very much in the air at the time um, that these things were being put into production. It just... Um, it's always, always happened. It's Deep Impact and Armageddon yeah. and all over again. Similarly... Dante's uh, Peak uh, and uh, Volcano. Volcano, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I had a look through the IMDb trivia troll. Yes, We've got some little uh, facts, uh, including the Martin Scorsese and Christopher Lee chat that you spoke about before. Uh, yeah. Luke. So, well done there. Thank you. Uh, Martin Scorsese directed the 3D cinematography by wearing clip-on 3D lenses over his prescription glasses, What's which so I just think is a really interesting... Um, visual of Scorsese just standing there and just flicking it's his like your granddad there. got a hold of this new camera and he's like playing with it but he's actually better at using it than you are mm. <laughs> and yeah and indeed uh, Scorsese <laughs> makes uh, a cameo in the film yes as a photographer which we noticed yeah. um, looking and uh, yeah taking a picture of the Meliers and the, the uh, film's author um, of, the, of the original book uh, Brian Selznick um, is actually in that apartment party at the very end yeah um he's just behind uh, melier and um the film professor just wearing some glasses i'm like that'd be kind of cool like yeah. as, as an yeah. author standing there and going oh there's Ben kingsley act- yeah. acting in the film that i is from the book i wrote oh this is cool yeah. like yeah <laughs> so yeah some nice small cameos there yeah. so let's score the film uh we'll start with you tegan because this was your first time seeing hugo mm. what would you give hugo out of 10 I'd probably give Hugo a five out of ten. Mm. Um, I agree that there are more pros than cons, but I think 
um, I, 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 I have a, I have real trouble enjoying a film more than kind of fifty percent when I'm not given something to invest in. Yeah, I think I invest in the visuals the, for the first twenty minutes of a film, and then you've got to give me some more substance. And I was too distracted by too many things going on, and and I, and I was I could see a beautiful film and a really wonderful, interesting film stuck in the middle of a lot of things that weren't necessary. Mm. So I'll stick with five. I'll stick with five Kingsley baguettes <laughs> out of ten. Okay. Uh, Luke, what would you score the film? Uh, look, I think I'm a bit, a bit kinder to it. Um, I'm biased towards Scorsese and I just love all this stuff. And I think the visuals keep me in a bit more and keep me coming back a bit more. This is probably mm. the fourth or fifth time I've sat through watching it. Um, and what really lifts it for me are those scenes with um, the flashback scenes of George Melies actually making the films mm. and, you know, just the joy that you could see him and his crew having doing that. I think they were really well put together, really well shot. And as a, you know, wannabe filmmaker myself, I can totally relate to that sense of um, joy yeah. doing that. Mm. And so that's what really lifts it up for me in the end. And, and it's kind of, yes, it's a bit plotting to get there, but it's, it really pays off for me when it does mm. so yeah i mean I'll, I'll give it definitely a solid seven out of ten okay yeah i wonder if it's like it is that thing of there's there's films and there's filmmakers films because i, I yeah. think there's those there's a different level of appreciation you get when you're a filmmaker because i know that jago loves hateful eight and i know you <laughs> love the revenant yeah. and those films and I can kind I'm of not see. Here to argue. I can okay. kind. No, I'm not here. I, we can. You want to go, bitch? Really we'll not. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like because they they are. Mm. They're a visual feast. They are filmmakers' films. Yeah, and I I wonder if that's. Yeah, if that's. Uh, that definitely explains there. why I'm yeah responding to it more. I would think just mm. my yeah. personal tastes. Yeah, for and because sure. I'm a, an act, you know, from an actor and a, I don't I, from that perspective, I kind of want. I do want story. I kind of crave story, but I crave neat story. Mm. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a, yeah. a neat, yeah, yeah a, a path to follow. Um, can still be intricate, can still have twists and turns, can still be vignettes, can still be a bunch of different stories, but it's got to be clean. Mm. Um, and, I, and that wrapped in a package of a beautiful looking film is just ideal. Yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I always, I kind of like that. I kind of like mm. that there's another a different level of appreciation that some people get from these sort of films. For me, I, um, I I'll be honest, I'm a little disappointed having come back to rewatch this and having enjoyed it the first time round in the cinema and then watching it again on on you know in a home entertainment system. It's, um, yeah, it it, it doesn't quite stand up, and I, I do feel as though it suffers from being too long without being interesting enough quite frankly um yeah it's it's still it's still an enjoyable film there's still lots to really um get out of watching this film but at the same time yeah that that pacing just really yeah. kills it for me yeah, um, definitely i so, agree yeah i i would probably i'm probably just gonna have to give it five and a half creepy dead looking automatons <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> yeah. If the automaton had come to live at the end and it became, you know, about trying like like 
T2, Terminator yeah. 2, but set yeah. in 1930s Paris. Or, that, or Will Smith turned up and yeah. came to kill him. You know, was yeah. that Will Smith? Nine out of ten, straight Yeah, that, yeah it, would just, that, <laughs> it would have jumped up straight away. Um, but yeah, it, 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 good film. Not great. Like yeah. so there are there are some yeah. issues. Not something that you know a a, a more strict editor uh, mm-hmm. might have might have helped with. But um, but an enjoyable film. Yes. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Luke and Tegan, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for listening along at home. Uh, now, for those of you who are listening in, you uh, may be aware by now that we have a live version of the podcast coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, It's taking place on the 15th of September here in Perth, Western Australia. So if you're listening interstate or overseas, it's a bit of a commute. So we understand (laughs) you not coming. But if you're, you know, even if you're in Broome, we'll we'll give you a pass on this. Um, But for those of you who are based in the Perth metropolitan area, uh, information is available via our Facebook page. And for more information about this and other podcasts, you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com, and make sure to uh, like and subscribe to this particular podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Uh, But that's all from us today, so until next time, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Au revoir. I'm the one. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.